Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always, my co-host, Jim Stamp. And uh, hey, 100 losses is not a lot of fun. There's not much you can say about that. So I don't want to waste a whole bunch of time giving you my opinion on how bad that stinks. I figure we'll, we'll cover that as we go. And just to make sure that the point gets driven home, I have a very special guest with us today, and um, he, he's somebody that's just been around writing for a long time. And I, I know that people will say, I've been reading this guy forever. I've literally been reading this guy forever. Um, he used to write for the Pittsburgh Press, and some of you might not even remember that. I mean, sadly enough. Um, so he covered some bad teams himself, and we're going to ask him to call back on that a little bit. Um, he's moved on since then to Memphis and now he's the big 10 network and the sporting news for 20 some years. I mean, Mike DeCourcy, what more can you say? I mean, and he's a local guy. So. <laughs> say hey. hello, sir. Good, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Wonderful. Doing great. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say hi personally from DK. He, he warned me I had to. So, Oh, well, it's always well, great to hear from him. Absolutely. Did you guys cross paths at work or at Point Park? Or You want to know what's funny? This is true. Although he and I have um, exchanged a lot of text DMs and all that sort of thing, uh, when I was getting done in Pittsburgh, so to speak, DK was just getting started. Uh, he, was, he was mostly high schools, and so I had, I had moved on from high schools when he got started at the Post-Gazette. Uh, so I've never met him. I know that's crazy, but that's, you know, that's just kind of the way things go in this business. You become uh, really familiar with people now through social media uh, and, and their work. And so he's somebody I Twitter know, uh, and I've been an admirer of his work uh, for a very long time and came to really uh, enjoy his columns when he became a columnist in the, in the uh, Tribune Review. That's when I really became a follower of his and, and then because of that, and when he in 2014 started DK Pittsburgh Sports, I was among the first people to sign up because I, I did not want to uh, lose the opportunity to read his opinion on, on Pittsburgh sports. I think he does a tremendous job. Plus, you can take the boy out of Pittsburgh, but as Jim Stam knows very well, it doesn't last. You always so. <laughs> come back, whether it's in person or just online, you always come back. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be back one of these days. Uh, that's a promise. Uh, Sounds good. Yes. Where are you living now? Out in Indiana? Or? I live in, I, I've lived uh, since 2014 in Fishers, Indiana, suburb of Indianapolis, uh, where my wife works uh, for the Indiana Farm Bureau. Uh, and so it's a great place for us for now. But uh, when uh, retirement beckons uh, a little while down the road, uh, we will we will move back to uh, to our to our both of our hometowns, uh, which is Pittsburgh. Well, let's hope it's way down the road because <laughs> i don't know how i'll get through a march madness without you man so, <laughs> <laughs> um i figured what we would start with here is is calling back on a little bit of your experience when you're in pittsburgh you know back in in the 80s into the early 90s because you've kind of seen the full arc of the pirates dismantling and rebuilding 
And it was a completely different environment. Baseball was a completely different animal back then. You know, I'm, I think a lot of people don't realize that in that, that early 90s team, the Pirates had the top payroll in baseball. That's something that you just can't say now. I mean, and we're going to definitely get into why that is. But just from your perspective back then, 83 was awful. 84 was worse. 80, you know, how did um, how did that feel at the time? I mean, you had to feel like there was more hope than a lot of fans do today. Right. I mean, yeah, I think to an extent, I, I think the hope began when uh, when Barry Bonds came into town uh, when he was drafted. Hey, Bear, Bobby Bonds's kid. That seemed cool, but right. nobody knew. I mean, if anybody knew, he wouldn't have been the sixth player, I think, chosen in his year. I think it was five or six. Uh, it, so, I mean, if anybody knew what he was going to become. But then when he came to Pittsburgh, uh, it, it, he was an instant sensation. And, and I give I give the people who covered the team, Bob Herzl for the press at the time, Paul Meyer for the Post-Gazette, they saw it. Uh, you know, be honest with you, as someone who didn't – you know, wasn't paying as much attention as when they were losing 105 games. Right. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't get how talented he was, but uh, they made sure that everybody understood this was a special player. And so it, it when once he came into the, the big club, it, it started to become apparent that things could get better. And Sid Thrift did such a terrific job uh, right. making trades and building a roster. And so, by the time you got to 88, 89, then you knew that it was going to get good. Now, the as good as it got for 90, 91, 92, I'm not sure any of us really knew that it was going to be that good. Uh, once you once you got into it, you could tell they were special. It was a shame that in none of those three years, they were quite able to break all the way right. through and get to the series. And it was especially a shame because – 92, we all knew. I don't remember the exact year that the Yankees signed their television contract mm. with whatever cable network as it was. I think it was Time Warner at the time, before they started the Yes Network. They signed a, a, a cable contract that was going to pay them, I believe this is the number now, $50 million a year. Now, right. that was a huge number then, and but it, it was so far in advance of what everybody else was getting that you knew that the, the game had changed. Right. And the and Pirates were not going to be able to compete at that level. So that's, that's, that's kind of where we wanted to go with this conversation a little bit was, and, and Jim, you know, I know you were interested in, in bringing up about Cincinnati because, you know, Mike's talked about Cincinnati Reds before too. Um, how do you feel about the Reds uh, situation in comparison to the yeah, you know, and, and let me just say this. I think that's maybe a little bit what we just talked about with the Pirates at that time, that maybe people today that aren't old enough to remember it don't fully understand is that we knew that it was yep. it was coming to an end. And that's what killed us so badly about it was that we knew there was this monumental shift within the game and that the Pirates were not going to be able to keep these guys. And it was really that that last chance to do it. And massive changes were coming. So, you know, that was really, I think, the dagger for people of, of that time frame in, in Pittsburgh Pirates fandom, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as far as, you know, Mike, I was curious to know, you um, – You've seen what the pirates. Let's let's jump forward till till yeah. to, to now. You've seen what the pirates are doing, obviously, and it's the slow and steady approach. 
And then you also see what a team like the Reds are doing and how they've tried to go about it the last three, four, five, six years. And I was just I was just curious to get your take on how you view both of those, because they're not really in too dissimilar of a situation from market size and whatnot. True. But yet they've chosen to go about it very differently. And I was just curious to get your take on that. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, the Reds tried uh, by signing Joey Votto more or less a decade ago to a massive contract to try to build around him. And ultimately, it failed. I mean, it, it, it didn't work. Uh, they, they were very good in 2012, a little less good in 2013. Uh, they probably should have gotten to the series in 2012 if Johnny Cueto hadn't gotten hurt in like eight pitches into the first playoff game, they probably would have beaten the Giants. I think the Giants ended up winning it that year. And they, they won two games on the road uh, in, in the five-game series and then couldn't close it out because their pitching just let them down. And if you had Cueto around to pitch the fifth game, I think that uh, you would have done better. Uh, and so nobody chanted his name. If somebody chanted his name, <laughs> yes, yes. Clearly, he would fail, right? I mean, yes. Uh, so that that it would it could have worked, but I, I, if I remember correctly at the time, I mean, I don't know that they needed to sign him to that deal to keep him for 2012. So I, I don't. It, it hasn't worked, and they haven't done a very good job of developing, particularly in pitching staff. They've been really poor at that. I mean, they, they've got a few good arms, no question. Right. Uh, but most of the good arms they've had in the recent years have been brought in. They haven't been loath to spend money. I'll give them credit for that, but I don't think they've been always wise about it. So, you know, the Pirates starting from the studs, so to speak, you know, you, you in, in, the, in the note you sent me, you asked me, you know, does what they're doing ever work? And the reality is what's, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things about this, when I looked this up and I started to research, the perfect example of this is the Cubs, uh, you know, the, you know, the Cubs of 13 and 14 lost an average of about 93 games. And They're then doing by, it again right now, too. Yeah. By 2016, though, they won the series and, and they did it with draft picks like Kyle Schwarber and a few others. And they certainly spent money on around the fringes. What's been odd is that even though they've had all this money, they haven't been able to sustain in much the same way as someone that doesn't have money like KC uh, or the Pirates when you know the Pirates mistake when they were good in the middle part of the decade was that they didn't invest in trying to get over the hump. They had this notion that they could sustain it. And it's that, that would, you know, I think that this pirates regime number job number one is get it right and get good. But then understand that if you do that, your window is short. There, there is no long window for a, a team like the pirates, because if you get it right, then you're going to have somebody like Garrett Cole and you're going to have no way to keep them. Uh, and so if you get, if you get it right in that way, then you have to go for it. You have to do whatever it is that you need to do to get over the hump toward the series, toward, you know, toward winning, getting to the series and then winning it. I agree with everything you said. Tampa's going to try like hell to prove us wrong, but I, I, I totally agree with that. I think when we come back from, from the quick break here, let's dive in a little bit more about what makes it this way in baseball, where you have to have a method like this, because it's the elephant in the room, and it always comes across as a nutting defense. But I really just want to talk about the overall disease instead of the symptoms. Okay. Okay. 
welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Once again, joined by Mike DeCourcy from Sporting News and the Big Ten Network and just about anywhere else that sports are talked about nowadays from his LinkedIn. But uh, I, I figured um, perfect guy to have on to talk about the salary cap situation in baseball in the upcoming CBA because Mike is what I call a unicorn. He's one of the few national writers that will actually broach the subject. And I guess we could talk about why that is if we want to, but I'd rather just take advantage of his knowledge base and the fact that he is willing to discuss it a little bit. Um, yeah, we don't want to get him in trouble, so yeah. we'll just stick to the facts. And it's one thing for for two guys to sit in the recording studio and talk about uh, the need for salary cap. But I, I understand even to our audience a lot of the time that can come across as some kind of a defense of Bob Nutting or trying to um, make excuses for why he doesn't do more. I just don't think that that's enough of the story. It's part of the story. Certainly. The whole story is that Major League Baseball is broken. They refuse to look around at all the other leagues that are thriving with the salary cap system where every market is fully vested. And they'd rather point to Tampa Bay, as we were just talking about before we went into the break, as an example of being able to do it. And they can do it. But that market doesn't care about their players. <laughs> they don't show up. And, and if you trade Blake Snell after he is arguably the best player in the World Series the year before, not too many people are batting an eye that aren't in the national media calling them cheap. So, I mean, Mike, you know the CBA is coming up. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope that things are going to get done, but it's needed in this game desperately, isn't it? I think it, it, I think the game is, you know, I, declining. I, I hate to use the word dying because it, it, it's not dying. It's, it's robust. It, it, they make a lot of money. But it's declining in terms of audience appeal for the lack of the salary cap. And I, I, I watch – you know, I watch baseball during the regular season, but I don't watch as much of the postseason because I know that the teams I follow don't have a chance, don't have a fair chance. Right. What, what, what's most misunderstood about the salary cap in conversation? First of all, I have people when I talk about this say, no, they need a floor. There is no cap without a floor. <laughs> it's, those, exactly. it's like there's no, you know, there, 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 you can't have a finger. You can't have a fingernail without a finger. You know, Thank I mean, you. They, they go for- together. Mike, thank you for uh, saving us on our, our comments section, because if you didn't say that or one of us didn't, that's what it would be. So thank you. Yeah. So it, because there's because it, w- it would it would be both of those as well as revenue sharing. That's the other component. They all go together. Um, what you, you would have a what you end up with in that system is it becomes a contest of baseball skill, of the skill of the general manager, the skill of the. Uh, of the salary cap guy, the skill of the manager and his coaching staff, and then the skill of the players. In baseball, it's the it really comes down to the Dodgers and the Yankees and and the and the Red Sox and the uh, inordinate sums of money they bring in from their uh, local TV deals and and barely share. Uh, and so they're able to spend as much money as they want on a player like Garrett Cole or Mookie Betts. Now, and no now, one else has a chance. Right. Now comes the part that everyone loves to throw back in your face. Well, the Yankees aren't going to win the World Series this year. They just got eliminated, right? 
just because you're just because you have the most money doesn't mean you can't be bad at it. Yeah, the Dodgers have only won one in 25 <laughs> years, right? So we shouldn't be complaining at all about this, right? But but it, but, it, but it still comes from that group. I mean, if you look back, uh, I did this earlier this week. The the last five World Series champions are markets two, four, five, eight, nine, ten. I think. Um, right. And th- th- there aren't any there aren't any Green Bay's winning the, the World Series, uh, or Indianapolis's, or New Orleans, or Pittsburgh's for you know to bring it home. That that's not happening because it, it's so tilted. And the the thing about this that I think is most misunderstood, guys, is that baseball players generally would do better under a cap system. Yes. They will make more money because they're they're their revenue, their income is, would be tied to revenue. And as revenue grows up because more people are interested and engaged, their money would go up. Look, just look at the history of the NFL salary cap. It's almost a straight line up. Uh, the, the same with the NHL. It, it, you know, Up until the pandemic, increase every single year uh, from where it started to where it is now because their leagues become more and more popular because everybody believes they have a chance. And that's what baseball, you know, I looked this up, guys, earlier in the year. There were at one point, and I don't know what the final number was, but there was at the point I looked up, maybe in July, there were 15 pirates earning less money than the than the lowest paid penguin. 15. Wow. Less than the lowest paid penguin. The, the Major League Baseball minimum salary is less than the NFL it's less than it's less it's two it's like two hundred thousand almost less than the NHL. That's ridiculous. So the end, there's not nearly as much money in hockey as there it is. Raises, in it raises two pretty big questions. And, and Jim, you take a crack at it first before we go back to Mike. That's, okay. Two two big questions come out of this. Okay, why don't the owners want this? Because I think it's pretty evidential that they would make more money, right? So. It has smells to me like they don't want to show the players how much they're making to begin with, because you'd have to do that for aggressive revenue sharing and you'd have to do that for splitting the pie purposes. Right. Right. So there's that aspect of it. And the players, the players, I can't figure out for the life of me because it's 99% of them protecting 1%. And I don't understand that. I, th- I think they've been so brainwashed in a, in, in a way to, just as soon as they hear the word salary cap, it is the F word in that sport. And you just will not, I mean, they shut it down at that point. And of course the agents are going to completely, completely feed them that. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Now from the owner's side of things, I just think this is just my opinion. I'm really curious to see what you two have to say about it. It would be a, long-sighted, what's the word I'm looking for, um, goal to get there. In the short term, they're going to lose money. It will be painful to get this cap instituted. And especially the timing of it right now, just right after COVID, and they've lost money. And I don't know that they have the stomach for what they're going to have to do long term. You're talking about the money they would lose from a, sh- a yes. shutdown. Yes. Look, that if they have to go the lockout route, especially right after what has just happened, and let's be honest, I mean, teams did lose money. Sure. Um, there are a lot of people out there that think they're 
that that's bogus. They didn't lose anything. They're still making money hand over fist. No, it was a real factor. So you've got that right now. To me, it seems like they might extend it a year, kick the can down the road, and then maybe get back to it. But I just don't know if anyone's going to do it right this second. I mean, that would be very unbaseball to kick it down the road a year. <laughs> they love to do things in, in five to ten year increments just to, to keep the pain going. But, but, Mike, I'll let you pitch in on anything Jim just had to say because I'm interested to hear your take on that as well. Yeah, I thought Jim had great points, terrific points. Um, I, I do think that uh, part, of the, part of the problem with the players is that the agents, the most powerful agents want this system because in the end, in the end, if you have, if you have that kind of power and so you, you attract the most high profile clients, it's so much less work to do get so much more money. I mean, if you sign one $400 million player, even at, I did just did the math, even at 2% uh, commission on a $400 million contract, that's eight million bucks. You sign, you you get eight million bucks for signing one guy to that kind of contract. So rather than having to sign a bunch of players to really lucrative contracts to get anywhere near that figure, so they they, they are incentivized to continue to push for the current system and to convince the players that it's better for them, even if that's not a hundred percent true. True. Uh, the, the, the the when you think about what the Major League Baseball player has to go through just to get to that poor, you know, relatively poor minimum salary I talked about. The yeah. years you have to spend in the minor leagues more often than not at very poor wages, maybe with a good bonus, but very poor wages regardless. Uh, and then you look at a, a player who enters the NBA or NHL, or, or excuse me, NBA or NFL, where you basically are in and you're making good money right away, uh, and and they don't have, you know, they don't stash you in a minor league and pay you poorly. Uh, I, I just think that it shows you that the Major League Baseball system is not as player friendly as as it's portrayed as. But people hear the word salary cap and they think that means less money. But what they don't understand is that all of American business practically runs on a salary cap. It's called a budget. Uh, you go to a company and they have a budget for what they for what they can afford to pay their employees. And if their revenue goes up then they maybe pay bonuses and they maybe can raise your salary because the revenue went up. Yep. But that's how business works, except in baseball. So what is holding it back then? Because we sit here and that makes complete sense. So at the end of the day, is it really just the owners just don't want to have to go into it to the depths that it would have to go to? Or is it something else, Mike? Well, that's part of it. But also there are owners who are, you know, like the, the Dodgers TV money is, astronomical they like it being astronomical for them and not having to share with anybody else same with the yankees and a few other teams they don't want to have to share it would it it would take action you know and solidarity among teams like the reds and the pirates and the royals and and, and some others in order to get that to, to and so they never are able to really get it settled among themselves you go back to 94 that was really the window i mean Right. Uh, it may have been a little early in the salary cap world, but that was really a big window for them to get it done because you could see the game going in this direction after the Yankees signed that TV deal I mentioned at the start. It hadn't punched the league in the face yet, though, so there weren't a whole lot of people that really understood what was coming. Um, like it, it was almost like ghost stories at that point, right? 
Like, yeah, somebody's telling you, oh, it's going to be terrible if you, if this happens. Oh, we, we really better be careful. But until you actually see it happen, it's very difficult to embrace it. And then it was almost too late. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. Clearly, it has been too late. But, I mean, the salary cap for me, I always tell people, forget about what the players want. Don't worry about what the players are looking for. Don't try to convince them because that's not going to happen. To me, if a salary cap gets instituted, it's because enough of the owners banded together and decided they wanted it that they're going to push it through, and they'll do whatever they have to do to get it. They'll shut down for however long it takes. They'll realize that, hey, those minor leaguers can play too if it goes on too long, and it'll happen. And those minor leaguers, because of the players not ever allowing them to be included, aren't included. It's just the 40-man guys that wouldn't be able to play. So everybody else would come up and play because they want money. And after two or three years, the league would reset itself. There'd be new Bryce Harpers. There'd be new Garrett Coles. There'd be new stars because it would be recreated from, from the ashes. If, if you really want to go nuclear, it's all on the owners. You know, That's the pain that the NHL went through. Absolutely. Um, and and look what look at how it's paid off. The league has grown so much that ESPN actually wants it back. Yep. I mean, how many how many people really sit here and truly realize there would be no Sidney Crosby spending his entire career in Pittsburgh? There would be no Evgeny Malkin spending his entire career in Pittsburgh. There would be no Chris Letang. Flurry would have been gone years before he was gone. That's that's the reality of a market like this competing with the New Yorks of the world, which, by the way, when the NHL did it, was the target. New York Rangers and Toronto Maple Leafs were dominating payroll. Yeah, and, and speaking of payroll, Mike, you got me going down this rabbit hole when you did tweet out about the market sizes in comparison to uh, you know the winning. And um, last night, I just started out of curiosity. Beginning of the year, April, March, Eight of the top 15 teams, baseball-wise, salary-wise, spending, made the playoffs. 15 teams, the Dodgers outspend 15 teams by twice the payroll. Man. I mean, how how does a league keep any type of interest in it when we're to this point? I mean, that is stunning to me. All I can say is the Globetrotters are still touring. But I, let's. I think we touched on youth baseball a little bit, and that's what I want to uh, get back into when we come back from the next break, because I, I do think the, the salary cap has a few implications on that as well. Like you were talking about the minor league pay. I think we're going to touch on that a little bit as we get as we get into it a little further. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Um, next topic on up for discussion is going to be youth participation in baseball. And again, Mike's a unique guy. He covers a lot of collegiate sports. And I don't know if I've ever seen you write about college baseball, but you do cover the Big Ten. So I'm sure it's around and under your nose enough to talk about. Um, and we already discussed a little bit about the, the trials and tribulations of coming up as a minor league baseball player. And 
the CBA, as we get back to that, that current topic, it looks like minor league baseball players might potentially get a seat at the table in the union this time. It's something that they're really pushing for, and they're going to send representatives this time. So it's possible we could see an up in living standards and pay a little bit for the minors, which I think would help attract more people to the game. Um, how, how many Kyler Murrays do we need to watch, Mike, before we realize that baseball isn't attracting the best athletes anymore? You know, I think the, the, that's, that's, it's a problem that's really been um, sort of persistent over the last 30, 35 years. When I was in Memphis, I did a story – I think that was very early in the uh, in the lifespan of the RBI program, return baseball to the inner cities. And uh, I, I'm sure there have been some success stories that have come out of that program, but I don't think that it has revolutionized the appreciation of the game, uh, in, you know, in, in various city environments. I, I think that uh, that it, it's still a problem. It, it's a it, and I think this goes back to. Uh, to an extent, to uh, you know, the fact that in a lot of cities, baseball, te- their teams don't have a chance, so they don't think about it. I, I think it, it's much right. more complicated than that. Uh, but I think that's a part of it. Uh, I, it, I think also it comes down to space and, and you know, cultural preferences and, and community preferences and those sorts of things. But it, it, it certainly uh, remains an issue here in the U.S., uh, it, it's not a high priority sport for a lot of a lot of for as many young people. Hey, when I was a kid, it was it was the only organized sport. I mean, there were there there were the little tigers in McKee sport, and that was that was the only like football team that that we knew of. Uh, and then everybody else just played little league baseball and pony league and all that. And I don't think that now with soccer, uh, summer basketball, you know, my my nephew has never been interested in baseball. For a minute, he's played hockey his entire life. So I think all of that, uh, you know, sort of plays into the to the shift uh, in terms of of youth baseball participation that, you know, I know that there are major league teams that are combating really good friends that in Cincinnati that for for the Reds, the Cincinnati Community Fund, uh, they they work really hard to try the Reds Community Fund. They work really hard to try to build fields and. And, and attract kids right. to the game, but it's an effort. It's one of the few things Bob Nutting does well too. He builds a lot of fields around here. So I do appreciate the effort from Pirates Charities, even if DK hates the sign. <laughs> but Jim, we're, we have the advantage. You have a kid that, that is playing youth baseball right now and you just got him started. And I mean, when you when you think about where he could go from there really around here, it, it's kind of hard to pull them away from something like hockey. I think a lot of people don't remember, like when we grew up around here, you weren't finding deck hockey rinks anywhere. No, you, I mean, you very rarely. In fact, it was kind of rare if your family had a TV that got hockey games at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? So hockey just took off after Mario Lemieux revolutionized what was going on here and like took them where, where he did and, Winning matters, and I think that's where we're kind of getting back to wrapping it into the CBA. Winning matters. If if the Pirates win here, you'll see kids playing baseball because they want to emulate winners. That's not happening in a whole lot of markets right now. 
what does Ben say? Does he care right now, or is he just going because Daddy's making him? Well, you know, Dad might have a little bit of influence here that is out of his control, but uh, no, I'm fortunate. Ben is five. He he naturally loves baseball, so Dad's not going to complain there. Let me tell you, because that's <laughs> that's my jam. But um, I, I I but he's also playing deck hockey, and he enjoys that as well. And we'll let him go whichever way he wants to go. But right. you can see why kids in this market, in this town, with the apathy that is now uh, a little bit rampant here in the Pittsburgh area, Western PA, you can see why kids go the, the other route with things. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I um, back way back in the day, I had the opportunity to um, um, coach uh, Colt League Baseball in Aliquippa. And, um, you know, I think this fits right into kind of what we're talking about, which is, and I got to do that for two years. And the real shame of it is, is there were kids there that had some ability, natural athleticism, speed, good arm, but it was too late. By the time we were getting them to us and trying to do things with them, it was too late. And I always look around ball fields um, uh, or basketball courts or whatever. And I think how many of these kids might be really good at baseball. If you've got a glove in their hand <laughs> absolutely, and a ball and started with them when they were young. And so often that's missed. And it just has always stuck with me that I think how many of these kids could probably be pretty good ball players, And we, and we don't get to see it. And I think that does have an effect down the road when you get into, you know, high school, college, right. the minors. They're not getting the best athletes. That's probably true. And I, I should thank you as well for not bringing up your coaching expertise whenever we're talking about a guy not handling <laughs> something right. I, that, that's, that's something wonderful that you do for me. Well, I didn't tell you the record. So, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> But we're talking about um, youth participation, and like he's saying, when you get into high school, it's a little different. So, Mike, you know, when I was in high school, I played four different sports. You couldn't do that now. My kid just five years ago when he was in high school, he he played football. They were like, you ain't playing anything else. That's it. Football, football, football. So he lost any opportunity to get into any other sport at all, and – that's something that I think's fundamentally changed that's probably not baseball's fault. I mean, we have a few dual sport athletes in college, but not a whole heck of a lot, really. Yeah, not in college, uh, but even at the high school level. And, you know, I have friends who complain about this uh, in general, specialization is too rampant. It depends on the age. Uh, at, at certain ages, like if you want to be serious about basketball, Probably by the time you're 14, 15, depending on the position, you probably need to just play. If it's soccer, maybe even a little teeny bit earlier than that. Um, so I don't complain about that because to me, I mean, when I was growing up, like the same guy would play quarterback, shortstop, shortstop uh, and point guard. And like so nobody else got to play. And so I don't you know, if if three different kids are playing those positions, that's three times the kids that get to play. So I don't. I don't have a problem with the specialization concept as much. Uh, I, I, I don't think it should start when you're nine. Uh, right. But I, I think that by the time you get to that around the mid-teens area, if, you're, if you really want to be serious about it, whether it's to take it all the way to professional or take it to college, uh, you probably need to find 
what your best sport and the sport and, and more maybe even more than your best sport, the sport that you love the most, you're willing to work the hardest at. Because, you know, one thing I tell people from covering college sports for 40 years is that beyond football, men's basketball, women's basketball, where you're if you get on the team, you're going to get a full ride and all that. A lot of the athletes uh, at the, you know, at the non the non revenue sport level in Division One and then Division Two, II, Division Three, you have to love it. You have to really love it to play uh, because you're not getting anything. It's taken away from your schoolwork and your social time and all of that. So you have to really be devoted. So it's important that you know which sport not only you have the most skill at, but which one you are willing to devote much of your life to up up through uh, your college years. Yeah, I mean, so how many kids are going to choose a sport where – they go to college for two years, so they don't get the full education. They get drafted out of out of there, and then they get plopped with a small bonus, barely make any money for two, three years, if they make it. Right? Yeah. Well, you 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 emulate who you see too, yeah. and I mean, you you're not. I mean, if Mike Trout walked down the strip district, how many people would recognize him? It's very uh, true. Not many. So I mean. There is therein lies the problem too is what a poor job baseball has done of marketing their stars. It's I mean, very true. the NFL, the guys wear helmets. You can't even see who they are. Eighty percent of the time, everybody knows who they are. Even that, even that goes back to money, because they market the stars in the markets that they think it'll play in. Right. Right. You see tons of Dodgers stars, don't you? Yeah, you, you see oh, you tons do. of Yankee stars. Everybody knows who Aaron Judge is, right? Everybody knows who Giancarlo Stanton is. But how many people know outside of Pittsburgh know who Brian Reynolds is? Maybe more now that he was in the All Star game. Not many, right? And you see the Latin countries invest in it heavily. It's very, very much so part of their culture and everything. We have not done a good job doing that here in, in the states. It's not America's game anymore. No, I think it was um, I think it was Howie Long that said at one time he said, you know, baseball may be America's pastime, maybe, but football is America's passion, mm. and I, that's always stuck with me. And I thought that's where things have kind of gone to with baseball. Is yeah, you know, from a nostalgic pur- pur- purpose and sentiment, sure, sure, but they're not the heroes anymore that they once were, and. I think Mike touched on that earlier that, I mean, those guys were heroes back then. Some of them literally. So, I mean, Mike, you know, first I I should touch back on the soccer comment from earlier because whenever they're starting here, according to me watching U.S. men's soccer, they should start earlier. Just just wanted to throw that out there (laughs) because uh, the women are doing great. Whatever they're doing works. Let's do that. Um. And, and March Madness is coming up, and, and it has a, a big um, following nationally for, for college basketball. Even people that don't watch the regular season tend to watch March Madness, I feel. Baseball doesn't have anything like that, really. The College World Series comes kind of close. Is there something that they could do at the collegiate level to, to maybe up that kind of excitement? You know, maybe even talk more about potential draft picks? You know, I think there's a lot that they could do. And I think that it would start with fully funding the sport or coming at least reasonably close. 
you you yeah. you can't have a baseball team with eleven play or eleven point four players or whatever it is. So that's right. that uh, that's part of the problem uh, is that it you know you get college baseball players because they can afford to be college baseball players more so than because they have great ability to be you know, like in basketball. If you have the ability to play Division One basketball, you're going to get the full scholarship. And in baseball, if you have the ability to play Division One baseball, you might get 0.65% of a, of a scholarship or whatever. Wow. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, I shouldn't say point, I mean 65% of a scholarship, but it, it, you get 11.3 or something like that scholarships for an entire baseball team. It's and, baseball. We're used to percentages like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to have you need to have um, uh, a broader uh, invitation to athletes to, to become college baseball players if you want to change the 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 uh, the dynamic of the sport. I think that would be the first thing that I would do, even more so than uh, promoting draft picks or that sort of thing. And all all those are great ideas, but the the most important thing that you could do would be to make it more inviting to become that player. And I think that the colleges, um, I think they can do better at that. I think they've become comfortable at getting away with, you know, uh, with the roster limitations, uh, the scholarship limitations. And I think they, I think they have the capacity to do better when you consider the buildings they build, uh, the staffs they pay, uh, the, all those sorts of things. I, I, I think the 11 and change scholarships comes down to, um, Schools want to have greater access to the best players more so than they want um, the best players to become college baseball players. And I think there will probably be a little bit of a, of a change a little bit with, with baseball as far as players seeking to go to college because they've eliminated a, a level of the minor leagues. So I do think that kind of will open up a, a few more people that would be interested in college participation. But you're right, if the scholarships aren't there, it doesn't really matter, does it? So, I mean, a lot of people just uh, roll the dice and see what happens, right? I mean, that becomes, you know, about financial aid and all that sort of thing. And that's, yeah. you know, that's a complicated process and, uh, and I, I, you know, and, and an intimidating process uh, for, for some students. And, you know, whereas the, for, like I said, for the basketball and football player, it's a pretty simple process. You're good enough, you're not if you're good enough, you get the offer. If you're not, you're not, you don't. And then you have to make decisions based on that. Uh, there's so many division one baseball players uh, that aren't getting much, if anything from the school. Right. And, and, and I think that, and I think that young people understand that. Uh, and, and so are guided into different directions as a result. Yeah. It's not the baseball is definitely not a ticket out of the situation or into something better an awful lot of the time, even, even the, uh, the Latin players, you know, a lot of the time you, you look at these signing bonuses that they get $25,000. Most of that goes to their family. Then they come here and, and they have to eat good. They have to train, they have to find a place to live. They don't, you know, they're far away from their family. And before you know it, the team has to make a decision about whether to keep them or not at the age of like 20. And, and they maybe just hit the States like a month ago. Yeah, it, it's a crazy system yeah. baseball has in place for so many. Very. And um, when you really stop to think about it, 
how appealing is that? It's amazing. I mean, well, it's yeah, crazy. Exactly. That's I think that's kind of what we're talking about is the CBA is a big thing. But these little nitty gritty things that are in it as well, I, I think they need to address on top of it. You know, the, the CBA is, is the overriding thing. But like I said, there's an awful lot of symptoms to that disease. So that, that's really what I wanted to talk about today. And I feel like we hammered the CBA really, really well with, with help of, of an expert here. So I appreciate you joining us, Mike. And uh, please do follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. You just might find out that he still loves to cover Pittsburgh teams. And even though he writes about many other things, um, open your mind and read it because even if it's not a sport you're interested in, he has a way of making you interested. I really mean that. Um, so I also say don't miss your heroes and sir. Thanks guys. It was a pleasure. Uh, great spending time with you. Yeah. Really and appreciate it. And I give Mike a lot of credit too on uh, Twitter, you know, sometimes, um, some people depending on where they get status wise, don't like to interact and don't like to, uh, where they feel maybe that they might be a little too good for it. Mike is not that way. And um, I always appreciate that with guys that um, have had some success and do have quite a large following that you still do that. And, um, you know, that's appreciated. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Uh, I, I love to talk sports, uh, as you probably could tell, for the last 50 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and so, I, you know, anybody that wants to engage me, uh, as long as they don't call me names, uh, I'm good. <laughs> Well, I can't guarantee you that. Not on Twitter. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode. And uh, smash that subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us everywhere. And the uh, show comes out every Friday at 6. Listen to every show on the network. They're all really good. And uh, looking forward to another good week next week. Let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.